Kicks in Comics is brought to you by the Bingham Group Media Network, an Austin-based digital content network focused on emerging creators. We help you tell your story. Looking for other Capital City content from the BG Media Network? Check out the BG Podcast, bringing you weekly conversations at the intersection of business, policy, and community. Hosted by Bingham Group CEO AJ Bingham, the BG Podcast introduces you to the people shaping the Austin metro and beyond. Good film fans, it's the 82nd Astronaut bringing you a special episode of Kicks and Comics. We're not all superheroes wear capes, somewhere Air Jordans. And what makes today's episode special is I have author and writer Kim Taylor Foster to talk to us a little bit. Kim, uh, thank you for taking the time to come on our podcast. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, I uh, just lis- finished listening to uh, your appearance on uh, Clash of the Titles, oh, which right. it was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah on grindhouse and i have oh, such cool. an affinity for the the films yes uh well yeah me too i mean when when um clash of the titles ask guests to come on um it's often in collaboration with them when choosing the titles to um to talk about and uh and they are two very important films for me so yeah so i suggested and they said yeah those are good <laughs> why are they important just out of curiosity um, to you well i mean um because when when they ca- they didn't come out in this country in the uk where i'm based um together and i know that they were released together in in um the us now mm-hmm. i knew that this was happening and um it it i'd never known anything like that i would have loved to have had the experience here to watch them back to back when they came out they didn't but I'd loved Quentin Tarantino and what he'd done up to that point um, and Robert Rodriguez and loved them teaming up on this. And for me, um, it, you know, a lot of people call uh, Death Proof, which was Tarantino's film of the two, mm-hmm. um, his worst film. And I think he considers it his, his uh, least good as well. But for mm-hmm. me, it was a real example of uh, Quentin Tarantino's range, uh, and it, it was it was it really excited me about where he would go in the future. So it was it was that that was the reason really. Death Proof o- over Planet Terror, but um, but yeah, the two together are very powerful, and the whole trailers mm-hmm. as well. The, the trailers, the fake trailers, I, you know, I I can't believe that those are still um, uh, eliciting films real actual films uh-huh. thanksgiving we've just had a a real trailer for uh eli roth thanksgiving and that's coming soon so what mm-hmm. what a legacy those films have yeah and i was lucky you know it being an austin production or, or uh, yeah i would say and um whenever it came out my brother and i went to go see it and it was the event you know it was a three we were like oh it's a three plus hour thing fake trailers uh like i mentioned on one of your posts death proof was the beginning was uh, filmed like feet from my house like yeah. i right i go on that street every day 
That's and, so cool. Um, yeah. And then I had worked at a tennis facility in university and um, they had filmed that. Uh, it was a small budget comedy, Balls Out, with Sean William Scott. Mm. And you had a lot of the... It was right after Death Proof had had filmed, and you had a lot of people in the Q the QTRR production shirts, and I was just like a kid in a candy store, just asking anybody, "Oh, how was that like? Uh, you know, what's QT like?" and and Robert Rodriguez. So, yeah, for me, it's a huge treat as well. I have here in my office a, a Death Proof poster because, like you, I think it's the better of the two. Yeah. Um, the the splatter factor of of planet terror is not my up you know not my my jam yeah yeah and uh you know i just again like like you it's very very cool the legacy obviously you had machete and um now thanksgiving and from time to time like i'll just randomly just say what's that one trailer like don't yes yeah, i'm like don't <laughs> like i'll just be randomly saying that like don't <laughs> i love that i love that and you um hobo with a shotgun as well which became a film a lesser known film i think but mm-hmm. um, a really great one with rutger hauer uh who wasn't the actor that starred in the fake trailer but uh mm-hmm. um, but yeah i love I, I i hope one day there will all be made there's what one left two left yeah <laughs> Well, I, I think to your point, like maybe where is it the werewolf women of the yes. SS or something? Yeah. Eh, that one maybe doesn't need to be, but yeah. definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't. Yes, definitely <laughs> do do don't. <laughs> well, again, uh, just thank you for for coming on here. I just want to go a little bit into your history as a writer. Sure. Obviously, you you're have these two books that we'll get to the why we love i want to call them series because i hope that there's more coming down the line we can get to that a little later but um what does your history with like film and then getting into into writing can you go down that a little bit yeah sure i mean in terms of you know my interest in film it started very early and and uh you know i i really love horror in particular i love i love uh all genres but Mm. Horror was kind of my introduction to movies from a very young age. And when when other kids were watching Disney films, I was watching horror films. I mean, it it, it was uh, enabled by uh, permissive parents. But there was a video <laughs> store around the corner from our house that was basically just run out of um, the somebody's front room, their living room, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad would take me in there and, and, and let me pick out whatever I wanted and uh, had an older brother too so that helped but we would we would pick out the horror movies um and one mm-hmm. of my one of my earliest memories is a is a British horror film called Extra it's a sci-fi horror film that was kind mm-hmm. of um kind of jumping off the success of E.T. uh huh. but I mean it's a lot of people have never heard of it if if uh if you haven't seen it or heard of it, I encourage you to look it up because um, for a, however old extra? I was, extra. So oh, extra. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting, and there's some quite horrific scenes in it. Um, so that was my starting point, and then um, 
eventually, when I started working, I started, um, oh, I, I did a degree in, in film and drama at university or English film mm -hmm. and drama. I started working and, and, and asked if I could write uh, the film reviews for the local newspaper. And that was how I started. They said yes and mm -hmm. started interviewing actors. I think my first... My first opportunity was Julie Andrews for the for the Ooh. Princess Diaries, mm -hmm. um, and then it built from there. I freelanced for a long time, um, and then uh, you know I, I suppose most people know me from my days at Fandom, which uh, I left Fandom at the start of the year, and I've been freelancing as a writer and uh, interviewer since since then, and and mm -hmm. you know talking head, I suppose, doing a lot for Total <laughs> Film Magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in a, in between all of that, I've written these couple of books, and um, and yeah, I'm working on another one, but but that's I, I don't like to talk about that yet. No, no, <laughs> jinx, no, yeah, I want to jinx that one. But. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is because I've seen you've interviewed I think Nick Cage, and uh, yeah. you would uh, I think interviewed Rob Rodriguez. What is and it again? You don't need to name names, but um. What would be like the most interesting interview that you had with a, a film star or even a, a director or anyone in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, that Robert Rodriguez one comes to mind because um, and I spoke about it on Clash of the Titles because mm -hmm. uh, I, I told him that Planet Terror watching that turned me vegetarian <laughs> and knowing my history with horror movies, you know, it's not like anything is is so... Um, uh, so horrific or, mm -hmm. or or disgusting to me that it's happened to me before. But there was a sequence in that that um, where I had in or, or, or Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas, she mm -hmm. gets got by the zombies and um, and I said to him, it was that moment where they're ripping off her limbs and they're gnawing on them like chicken bones. Mm -hmm. And he turned to me and he said that sequence is not in the movie. I never filmed those scenes that you're talking about. Uh -huh. So that was interesting and enlightening because I, we, you know, we both came to the conclusion that my brain had filled those bits in. And <laughs> mm -hmm. I think he was quite pleased that, that his film had had that impact in terms of um, who else have I, I mean, I, I really loved, I've interviewed uh, Keanu Reeves a few times, you know, and, and one of my books, Why We Love the Matrix, obviously um, stars Keanu Reeves. But the first time I ever interviewed him, I remember um, Bill and Ted was, well, you know, one of my formative films, uh, Bill and, mm -hmm. well, both of them, Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure and then Bogus Journey. Um, loved them as a kid. And I'd been, I'd been told not to speak to Keanu Reeves about Bill and Ted. Oh, wow. Uh, and in particular, the chances of a third film. And this was a long time before yeah. the third film came out. And um, and I did. I, I wanted to, so I did. Mm -hmm. And um, we ended up firing uh, Bill and Ted's quotes at one another. So that was very <laughs> special to, to, you know, 12-year-old me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 there's, been, there's been so many. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. When I, I talked to him Ooh. long before June was uh, confirmed even mm -hmm. or, you know, 
certainly long before it was out. And um, and he was like, oh, I, d I don't even know if it's definitely happening yet. But I asked him about what what his version of June would be, and and mm -hmm. he he said uh, Star Wars for adults, and yeah. um, that quote went everywhere. I remember. Um, <laughs> uh, and it was just a real honor to speak to someone that I admire, like Denis Villeneuve, and um, about a project that might not even happen and then mm -hmm. came to be and was the brilliant thing that it was. Um, right. So I really look back on that interview really fondly and proudly. Mm -hmm. That movie is, is gorgeous. And even look, seeing it on the small screen, I think that's the one way I'd, because I remember seeing obviously yeah. the original when they announced the remake, I wasn't quite sold, but like seeing what he did yeah. is like just masterful so i'm looking forward to the to part two. Oh, you are that's good to hear and going back to your horror roots for the longest time like horror i would I just that was scared stiff to the point where i used to work at a blockbuster here during uh when i was in high school and i would refuse to stock the horror section because i couldn't it was always late at night and as we're closing down like okay you need to go stock horror and i would beg borrow and steal to get out of that yeah. but to um one film's credit and and that just sent me down the horror journey like i dig horror now it was 2004 Shaun of the dead oh wow it, it um i don't know it it was that mixture of obviously it's a obviously everyone loves it and if you don't i don't know what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> but it's a mixture it made for me horror palatable and then I already liked the zombie genre because I'd seen uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead in an art class in high school. And I was like, okay, this is still a little scary, but, uh, you know, I'll roll with it. But then, obviously, Shaun of the Dead opened up, you know, the, the brought back the zombie genre. And also, for me, sent me down, like, the whole, like, uh, what was it, 28 Days Later. And all, just, and yeah. I've just never looked back. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, I you know that the zombie genre in particular, I think, was was a really early or subgenre favorite of mine. Um, like you, you know, Night of the Living Dead was a was an entry point. Actually, I think I saw Return of the Living Dead, which is mm -hmm. nothing to do with it. Um, but before before I saw Night, well, of the it's Living Dead. well, it's written by John Russo. Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Good, good knowledge. <laughs> well, uh, John Russo being uh, George Romero's uh, writing partner for the original. Yeah. Um, but of course, Return of the Living Dead has got that, like Shaun of the Dead, that uh, comedy element mm -hmm. that Night of the Living Dead doesn't have. Right. Yeah. And, and going into like your favorite, like you kind of touched on it, but is zombie like your favorite genre now or is it something different no i mean i'm gonna sound like a real uh weirdo when i say i really like extreme horror anything that makes me feel really uncomfortable and that really mm -hmm. kind of explores the depths of the depravity of of human nature i just find mm -hmm. really interesting and and if it makes me feel um really uncomfortable i really love it um for whatever reason <laughs> right yeah 
Is there one in particular that might, I'm outside of extras, but yeah, <laughs> one in particular of- where you can just be like, ooh, that's a that's one that I really recommend? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, uh, really, really love and rate a Serbian film. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, that's a really hard watch. Mm-hmm. Um. But also, you know, I think when it was released in in this country on DVD, I mean, it had to jump through numerous hoops to get a release, but it had to come with um, a message at the start from the director about what he was trying to do in terms of um, the messaging. And it's a kind of a socio-political message to the film. So it's not just, um, you know, seen in... So it's seen in that context and not just in the, uh, you know, some kind of exploitative context mm-hmm. um and then the, the other film i tend to go to is human centipede 2 <laughs> <laughs> which again That'll is quite a it. hard watch yeah <laughs> uh-huh. mm. uh, but they're not necessarily my favorite horror films or uh-huh. the films that i think are the best although i think they both have um uh, uh strong strong merits um right I think my favorite my favorite horror film is probably The Exorcist. I also love Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Blair Witch Project. Mm. And are Halloween. You... <laughs> yeah. Are you yeah. looking forward to that I think is a Blumhouse is redoing or I don't know what it is The Exorcist is a, it's not a reboot or yeah. re- reimagining. I don't really know. Exorcist Believer it's called, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I tried to stay away a little bit from I haven't had to touch it for my job at all so far Mm -hmm. so you know if I can avoid um the the hype around something I like to because I really enjoy coming to something fresh but no um, I'm curious I'm curious Mm -hmm. I don't know if if looking forward to is is the right phrase but I'm definitely curious about what it is and what they've done with it that's one franchise that I refuse to touch. Like, um, you yeah. know, growing up Catholic and being practicing, I'm just like, ooh, that's a little mm-hmm. too close to home. So, yeah, sure, sure, I get that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think mine, my, like, one of my favorite horror movies, um, if you'll indulge me, yeah. is uh, Jacob's Ladder with oh, uh, wow, yeah. Tim Robbins. Um, just because. The the Im- like for me it is a, the imagery is really disturbing, and then obviously it's a twist film, so it's great. In my you know I don't, I don't yeah. say that all twist films are, are fantastic just for that, but at the end you're like oh wow, and um, it's one that I highly recommend. The original they made a remake yeah. a couple of years ago, and I was like that was not good, but the original is just really I think holds up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't revisited that film in a long time, but it was always one of my favourites, actually, growing up. Um, so that's that's really interesting. It is great. I loved that they felt felt it was good enough to remake, or even if the remake was a was was not uh, as good as the original. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's one of your favourites. Well, what's interesting? It's written by the same guy that wrote Ghost. Um, oh, right. A lot of people don't know that, and obviously, my my mom loves a ghost or loves ghosts because it's you know Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg. But he was like, "Oh, when I wrote that, I guess he still had like the. I guess it, I always look at it like, oh, this is the same 
city as the goat as ghost yeah but um obviously way darker so yeah although you know there are threatening quite threatening moments in ghost aren't there there's that Mm -hmm. uh, yeah the whole um well i was going to call it subplot i suppose you know it's it's kind of almost the main plot but uh with carl and and Mm -hmm. uh willie lopez yeah Yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite threatening. Was it, I think it was 1990, but I was going to say the the late 80s, especially, was um, was was quite um, keen on mm-hmm. blending quite threatening storylines with comedy or romance mm-hmm. in that way. I'm thinking of Three Men and a Baby as well, which had this yeah. quite threatening subplot around drugs. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You, you when you look back on films like that, you forget that. But it maybe it was at that hard edge time of the eighties where, um, I don't know. It's a it, we were coming out. I think like maybe the wild wild west of film and trying yeah. to find you know ratings here in America. We're getting. I was listening to a podcast of how like um, Jurassic Park was rated PG thirteen, but people were saying like, no, that was an R rated film. It just happened to be directed by Spielberg, who had the clout to bring it back down. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's very. I think it, it's very perceptive for you to say. And looking back on it, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm. Um, so getting into your books, uh, why we love the Matrix. Uh, I'm going to start with that one. Um, I've done an episode on the Matrix because obviously it's a. Uh, one of my favorite sci-fi films but what what i guess to bring it a little forward or backwards what was the genesis of this idea for you um well i i was in conversations with a publisher and we came up with the idea together mm-hmm. um uh and she actually brought the matrix to she actually brought the matrix to me that my, to my publisher um as uh the first um, entry in this, you know, hopefully that something that would become a series of books. And of course, you know, The Matrix being the important film that it is, I immediately said, yes, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, it's, it's, if it isn't one of your favorite films, anybody who's listening, it ought to mm-hmm. be because it's, um, it's one of those films that's deceptively simple, I think. I remember the first time I watched it and and, and just just caught the surface, you know, mm-hmm. story. Um, and thought, oh, right, well, this is really straightforward. Okay, bit silly, actually, was the, was the mm-hmm. first thing I thought of it. Um, and then realised how stupid I'd been eventually because mm-hmm. there's so much in it, so layered. It's such an important film. It changed a lot about... Um, movies in Hollywood um, mm-hmm. and broached all these big ideas. So um, uh, it's an incredible film. And so that's why it was the perfect film to, to, to write a book about in the first instance. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Cause you kind of touched on a little bit of the, the sequels. Yeah. I was a fan of uh, the second one uh, mm-hmm. uh, reloaded and then had a really bad taste in my mouth regarding mm. r- revolutions and um looking back on it I, I see a little bit of kinder eyes i my my perspective is a little kinder what about yours yeah i mean 
I, I mean, that's interesting because I know that the, the two and three were less well received, although they made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, but I see them as part of the whole. Yes, the first one is can stand alone mm -hmm. and it is the superior film. Mm -hmm. But they were conceived, the films, were, the, the concept was conceived as a trilogy. Right. And two and three were actually made uh, shot back to back. So they're, I kind of see them as one film and, and don't mm -hmm. really differentiate between them. And I think they really add to the conversations that are started in um, the first film. Uh, mm -hmm. And they push the... Um, effects forward as well like that the burly i know you you mentioned reloaded but the burly brawl sequence in that uh in particular mm -hmm. kind of up to the game again when it came to um technology using tech to create the effects um mm -hmm. and more of the uh you know hong hong cinema wirefu gunfu stuff was all good to me um right what was it about them that you you didn't quite take to um i think at the the end of one they seem like neo's ready to to you know for revolution you know he's become this revolutionary and you know the the end yeah. uh soliloquy with the machines is just like i've you know i'm you know, i don't know how this is gonna go but this is how it's gonna start and mm. and at the end obviously he flies off but then at the beginning of two, he's still uncertain about himself. Mm. And the way one makes it seem is that everybody follows. I mean, this is more re realistic, I guess, to take. But I made it, they made it seem like everybody believes Morpheus. Everybody believes the prophecy. But when you get to two, there's a council and, and obviously uh, Captain Mifuni, I, I believe, that, yeah. that doesn't believe in, in the one. And... It's almost like uh, Morpheus is a just a quack job that nobody's just like, oh yeah, it's Morpheus and his beliefs, but we don't we don't uh, uh, prescribe to him. So I felt there was a maybe uh, even though like you said it was a developed or sold as a trilogy, I felt there was a little bit of the sequel syndrome that you see in like Superman two, Spider Man two that oh I'm not I'm unsure of myself or I'm gonna give him my powers or something like that. I was like. Ooh, like that that part didn't really sit well with me. Yeah, I I hear you. That's good good uh reasoning. I like I mean I like that um they kind of uh, undermine Morpheus in it because I think mm -hmm. that's that's partly in it's a, it's a question there's a question mark over him that's opened up in the first film. I think you kind of led by Cypher who's mm -hmm whose side you can see, although he is um, one of the antagonists in the film, mm -hmm. I think you can understand how, and watch, watching Morpheus's kind of world, I suppose, that he's created, he has kind of got a, a established a hierarchy uh, mm -hmm. at, at which he's at the top of, mm -hmm. and um, he does control the people who are apparently free and that that world outside of the matrix um is not a nice is not really a nice 
place to be and uh, you know they eat slop and mm-hmm. you, can, you can understand where Cypher's coming from he feels lied to he was promised this uh, utopia I guess or the yeah. freedom and and that's not what he's he's experiencing and he says that you know I'd rather be in the matrix than living uh, in this lie so mm-hmm. I like yeah you know there's this this element of Morpheus maybe not being the um the hero, the prophet that mm-hmm. he is set up as in the first film, and then it's explored further in the second film and the third. Yeah, I mean, again, I looked at it. I'm looking at him with kinder eyes now, and yeah. you know, it speaks to the human condition, like you said. You know, it's what is reality? What is, um, you know, or what are we willing to accept as as such? And yeah. now, um, we in modern times we get that question like oh are we living in a simulation is this enough or or you know again making me have kinder eyes i'm like oh this was really super ahead of this time when i saw it i was mm-hmm. maybe a few years out of high school so i was really wet behind the ears and now as an adult i'm like as you know i'm like oh okay i see where this is going yeah what are your thoughts on the the fourth one that came out you know in 2020 yeah, I haven't revisited it since it came out, and I'm not sure why that is. I feel I've got a little block on going back to it for some reason, but but um, but I really rated it. I loved what they did. It, you know, it went to unexpected places, or mm-hmm. or, or it was Lana Wachowski, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Lily was not involved with it, but mm-hmm. um, uh. I felt that it really kind of challenged some of the things that they'd set up uh, in the original trilogy mm-hmm. um, and doubled down on some of it. And, um, you know, I think it was a deliberate thing not to maybe, because I think some of the complaints about it were that um, the there was no kind of amazing, uh, you know, brand new yeah. VFX in it mm-hmm. um, that really wowed us. And I felt like that was a really smart choice hmm. um, because that's what the other films did. And why sh- why should this one fall into playing the game when the films are about not doing that? So, right. Yeah. Interesting. What about you? What did you think of it? I think I fell under the camp of I was ready. Obviously, we're still kind of mid lockdown and and things of that nature so i went to the theater you know obviously here they they released it on max and you had the option to go to the theater i was like no i'm risking the biscuit i'm going to the theater because i'm going to be wowed and when i wasn't it again i i feel like i maybe like yourself i haven't revisited it again and i need to look at it with kinder eyes you know a couple maybe you know, after this interview that it wasn't about the spectacle, it was about the story. And to that effect, I love the story of, you know, there's something about these two people, Trinity and Neo, that just is mucking up the works. Mm. And it's something, um, again, I was expecting something bigger from three to four, and it wasn't delivered. But to your point, maybe the story is more about the I don't know grounding it and and the subversive nature of it all so initially and I don't know right now 
I'm not too keen on it, but mm-hmm. I, I need to revisit it because the matrix for me, and one of the reasons I reached out to you after reading this book was the, it changed everything obviously for everybody, but for me, the melding of like action and sci-fi and philosophy and like um, I remember reading Simulacra and Simulation because of this movie and going down you know Baldriard and you know Plato's allegory and all that Um, so it was just so rich but your initial question I need to revisit Resurrection because as it stands today it's not not too high up on my list Well, let's we both both of us make a um, pledge to revisit yeah. it after this. I think that's that's a great idea. Excellent. Yeah. It's a deal. <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you mentioned. Uh, sorry, I just wanted no, to, go ahead. to touch on Baudrillard. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is a really tough read because uh, it depends what translation you've got hold of. Because I've mm-hmm. read. Um, one translation from the from the French and it was uh, really tough to grasp because mm-hmm. because the and I I'm going to say it's because of the translation not because of my tiny brain struggling <laughs> to get to grips with the concepts but uh-huh. but yeah uh, how did you get on with that book um there's parts I think there are a lot of they're applicable now I think there's this one uh um chapter on media and how that uh, informs our our perception but obviously the the initial chapter of where the map maker it's like where does the map end and reality start Mm. um it was obviously to your what you're saying a very heady read Mm -hmm. and it's one that i have to revisit time and time again it's not easy and i don't know which translation i have obviously it's not i don't speak french unfortunately Mm -hmm. um but it is very fascinating because it's it's a thing where um, I think Reeves in one of the supplemental um, bits to the Matrix, it's like he uses the term or or the image of like the uh, Jesus uh, statue on somebody's car dash. It's just like that thing represents it's just a representat- representation, but it doesn't represent the power and how to, you know, the power behind it is lost, but then the relationship and all that. So that right there, just like, again, whoa, kind of yeah. a moment. Yeah. But um, I, again, I think to answer your question, it's a, it's a very just tough read, but I don't know. It's one of those things where you need to read stuff that yeah. challenges you. You do. I agree. Yes. Yeah. And also, even if you don't understand it, it's exercising muscles that you didn't know you needed exercising. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, I totally recommend people giving it a go. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, but, you know, watch The Matrix as well, because that addresses a lot of those points. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember buying the the box set where it has like, I guess a deep dive into the philosophy behind it. And I think it it's makes it like the matrix makes these ideas more pal like uh palatable and easier to go down because mm. it's you get philosophers, you get theologians, just different people in academia and religiosity breaking these tough things down. Mm. And they they start obviously with you know uh the, the allegory of the cave and Descartes and all that stuff. And you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like takes you back to philosophy one oh one. So yeah. if you haven't seen that, um I highly recommend it. 
Cool. Um, but moving on to your second book, uh, why we love Die Hard, Yippee Kaye, Mister Falcon. Like, <laughs> what? Why choose that one? Another film that is uh, so influential. You know, and like mm-hmm. like The Matrix generated a number of sequels that are less well regarded, interestingly. Mm. That was not a reason. I mean, the reason to write these books is to is to um explore why we love the original movie. We and like with my Matrix book, I only touched on the sequels um mm-hmm. rather than explored them in depth because because they are not the focus. And they are not the um, the uh, elements of it that have been influential. I mean, uh, Die Hard spawned, you know, this whole Die Hard inner. It's not a genre, mm-hmm. but Die Hard inner films. Uh, there is a, there are lists and lists and lists on the internet um, explaining or or uh, just detailing mm-hmm. all of the Die Hard kind of influenced movies like like home alone like mm-hmm. phone booth um that are all set in one location and ramp up the tension you know basically speed mm-hmm. snakes on a plane blah 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um under siege yeah. under siege yeah <laughs> there are many um and they still make them they still make them so mm-hmm. Uh, it really revolutionized the action genre. Um, and one of the things that uh, at the time when it came out, it was it was something pretty fresh as well. You know, although it was it was definitely influenced by Lethal Weapon, which came out the year before mm-hmm. and Beverly Hills Cop. Um, it was it was kind of capitalizing on this emerging kind of um, uh, love among audiences for, for action blending comedy, you know, and, and the whole buddy cop thing, which had existed before I'm aware of, but, but through the eighties, certainly through the early and mid eighties, comedy was um, ruled the box office. Mm -hmm. uh, And then, you know, action films were were kind of humorless muscle men affairs that, that that did pretty well on mainly on home video, but um, aside from a few outliers um, like First Blood, um, yeah. And so this came along and kind of uh, blew blew a lot of stuff out of the water. So very important. And I and I, and you know, of course, I have a huge appreciation and love for it. What about you? What's your history with Die Hard? Um, wow. I don't remember the first time I ever saw it, but it's just one of those things where it's just become a ubiquitous staple in um, my household. Like uh, to the point where my wife is just like, hey, like during Christmas, she's like, hey, you want to put on Die Hard and wrap gifts? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> let's do it. I love um, But Oh man, I I remember seeing it really young and recognizing Reginald Vell Johnson from Family Matters. Mm-hmm. And I think I obviously being a child at the time, I saw the show before the movie and I'm like, "Oh, that's Carl." And then mm-hmm. um the uh 
the computer guy. Oh, um, Clarence Gilliard Jr. Right. He was in Walker, Texas Ranger. There you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's a a really good bad guy in this. <laughs> so um, that's my history with the first one. And obviously I'm, I stand behind Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Like, yeah. It's and then I think, but if I'm gonna rank the first three because I think those are the only ones that matter, yeah. it's one, three, two, because yeah. Die Hard with the Vengeance is oh, fantastic. It is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. That's my order too. One, three, two. <laughs> it. I mean, uh, Sam Jackson as Zeus. You know, uh, I use the 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 phrase where he's like like uh they tell him hey bro like i'm on the phone and i'm like bro (laughs) like get off the damn phone like i again when those things were just like don't like i just say like bro (laughs) or when i'm like zeus hey zeus not he's like uh he's not hey it's not hey zeus it's hey zeus you know (laughs) father apollo i'll put a lightning up your ass (laughs) (laughs) oh god he's oh inspired casting and great writing as well oh my god but to your point i and i one of the things i haven't mentioned that i need to now uh is how well your books are written um the 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 depth of uh yeah the depth of your research the little interstitial um things about like in the matrix book the wisdom of morpheus or uh little sidebars that you have it's like reading and it's very interactive for being a um a stationary thing you know it's not a like a web page where you like click on something but yeah i'll read something that you wrote and then look over and it's oh it's a sidebar explaining a lot of that i'm like oh my gosh like thank you kim oh that's lovely to hear thank you <laughs> or like going to your diehard book um not realizing it was a western like the original and every time it's the jingle bells it's the clinking of the spurs i'm like oh my gosh like yeah. This has opened up a whole new appreciation for me because I grew up uh, watching spaghetti westerns with my dad. Yeah, yeah, right. It's um, you know, those jingle bells are jingle bells, and they are meant mm-hmm. to evoke Christmas because it is a Christmas film. Let's face it. You think it's a Christmas film? You watch it at Christmas. Yeah, I think it's a Christmas film. I've got a whole chapter explaining why it is. Um, but those, yeah, those jingles also dino a cowboy he is a cowboy and i mm-hmm. love uh, and i you know there's a whole chapter dedicated to that as well uh, explaining how how it is actually a western and and he is a cowboy and the um and the and some of the key westerns that that um that you can read into it um but one of the things i love is which i point point out in my book you know a, a cowboy is synonymous with his hat and his cowboy boots mm-hmm. and John McLean has neither of those he has mm-hmm. nothing on his head and nothing on his feet <laughs> yeah I just love that 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 um uh it's not really a subversion but um uh I love that he is a cowboy and yet eschews those kind of um uh totems mm-hmm. of the cowboy um someone had a good sense of humor there but of course, also there's the whole um, uh, in in taking his shoes away, he um, uh, invites this 
Jesus comparison because mm-hmm. his feet get cut up and it um, it uh, evokes the stigmata. So, mm-hmm. so that, interestingly, you know, you can also read Neo as a Jesus figure in The Matrix. Right. So it's anyway. uh, I think that's the other part where it was kind of going back to the matrix of it being a little confusing is just like okay he died and resurrected in the first one yeah but then he it it was like i felt like the allegories kind of fell apart during subsequent sequels going to obviously back to the matrix but again obviously thomas anderson you know son of man kind of thing um obviously john mcclane uh almost jc but not really yeah um but, oh, one other thing that I loved about your book is that you reframed Die Hard for me as uh, John McClane being the antagonist. I never looked at it like that. Ah, I see. Well, this is, this is um, really comes from the director John McTiernan's comments about mm-hmm. wanting to position Hans Gruber as um, the protagonist. Mm-hmm. This is why, or one of the reasons why we love him so much. We do, mm. don't we? we, we Hans yeah. Gruber is an iconic villain. But yeah, it is John McClane that is the that is stopping um, the uh, Hans Gruber, uh, the protagonist, if you like, from carrying mm-hmm. out his plan. He's the fly in the ointment, as as he is referred to mm-hmm. in the film, um, and. It, yeah, I mean it's gr- it's a great way of of um, make making a villain that is not just two dimensional, right? Mm-hmm. We, we we kind of root for both of them, I think. Oh, definitely! Like I wanted to see him on a beach earning twenty percent. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, and what's funny is like I recently got an ad about a diehard advent calendar. Have you seen this on Instagram? No, but I need that in my life. Well, the thing is, it's Hans Gruber falling down the Nakatomi building. And each day you knock him down like a notch (laughs) till he reaches the ground. Oh, wow. You're going to have to search it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I'm, yeah, uh, if anything, like, I'll I'll send it to you. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, Um, I, I would love that. One thing that I have to appreciate for your books too is like you um, add like the supplemental materials that have been released afterwards. Like I didn't know there was a graphic novel of Die Hard. Yeah. I was kindly, I was kind of tangentially aware of different Matrix things, but you list them out to where like, oh, if you want a deeper dive into these seminal films, like here you go. So thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, well, you're welcome. I mean, I you know. I think it's important to kind of outline their ongoing legacy, really. And with, I think with um, the Die Hard comic book, I think, if I recall correctly, that the there was a, a prequel series in development, which is no more since mm-hmm. Disney bought uh, Fox, mm-hmm. um, that was based on on that. So, but who knows? You know, maybe maybe they'll revisit that at some point i I can't it's you know it's such a beloved franchise um die hard i can't see it just never never seeing the light of day again and it feels like a prequel 
is probably the logical mm-hmm. next step. Although, you know, it's really hard to imagine uh, a diehard without Bruce Willis. He's so important to its success. Right. Yeah. Um, going a little bit into and this probably the final thing we touch on, the art for these books, which I love immensely. Yes. The, the minimalism on both of them, but it seems like for each book there are different artists how much say do you have in the art design of it or is some of this yours no none of it's mine and I had a lot of I had approval on all of it um you know it was it was always sent to me and um for amendments or uh comment comments notes you know Mm -hmm. um but I really had very little to say about it I think you know legally there were some a couple of tweaks that needed making but aside from that I you know I I the the publisher um well we chose we chose artists together we looked at work and thought yeah that would be a good fit um and then I think that you know the publisher briefed briefed the artists and they came back and did, each time did these did this amazing job so I really didn't have a lot um a lot of comments to make yeah, because again, like um, one of the things that first got me on this book was the the um, the cover for Why We Love the Matrix, and it's the silhouettes. And then I didn't know. I'm I'm sorry to say that you had a second one. I was in Barnes and Noble this holiday season, and I saw Why We Love Die Hard, and I just obviously it was an instant instant buy, and oh. um, probably something that I need a gift during the holidays for. Just to remind people, like, hey, MFers, like, this is a Christmas film. So Yes. <laughs> yeah. And literally, there's a whole chapter explaining why. So. <laughs> yeah. Now, you said, you know, I don't want to jinx your, your current writing project, but is this an ongoing series or can you, we not talk about it at all, which is totally yeah. cool? I know. I mean, I don't, I haven't been... Um, uh, told i can't talk about it but um the the new book i'm writing is not in this series Mm. um but yeah i don't want to jinx that um it's it's about horror and you know that's really close to my heart so and we can't wait this why we love was always uh intended to be a series not necessarily me writing all of them and i think Mm -hmm. that's a good thing i think it should have more voices um, but having said that, I would love to write more of them. I've got other films I'd love to make uh, to, to turn into a Why We Love book. So, and I would love to read them. I mean, your your voice in I, I, like with anything, I think there needs to be like a consistent voice. So please, oh. your publishers, it needs to be Kim Taylor Foster. I, I refuse to buy him. So, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> Um, but I've had you here for an hour, I uh, almost, and I appreciate your time. I don't want to, um, obviously we're in different countries. So yeah. again, thank you so much for carving the time out. Is there anything else you, you'd like to share before we sign off or like uh, anything, just random musings? Oh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. What have I, oh, I watched a film recently called Eileen that's not out yet which I thoroughly recommend so I'm going to say that mm-hmm. that is um uh made by the director behind Lady Macbeth which was Florence Pugh's breakthrough film mm. and it stars um 
Thomasin McKenzie, who was in uh, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about Shaun of the Dead earlier. So, yeah. you know, there's a link there in that he also directed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, based on a book and it's a psychological thriller, also stars Anne Hathaway. Uh, oh. So look out for that. That's what I'd say. And if anybody wants to follow me on social media, please, I am uh, Kimbot or it's it's K underscore Imbot, just to confuse you. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously we can find your book at any just retailer. Um, yeah. Yes. And- it's anywhere that sells books, you can uh, get your hands on it. And I, uh, seriously, I, I just can't recommend these enough. Like the the even the tactile nature, the matte finish on them, the yeah. glossiness. They're super affordable, super great reads, and a great stocking stuffer. Like I said before, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah. thank you for your time. Uh, I can't appreciate or thank you enough, and I look forward to any of your future projects. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, y'all. Normally, Michael takes care of the outro during our normal episodes, but since we had a guest this time, I find it kind of rude if I have them sit there while we sputter off our social media info and website details, so I'll do it right here. You can find us on Instagram, at Kicks and Comics, Facebook as well, Kicks and Comics. You can also drop us a line at atxkicksandcomics at gmail.com. Um, our website info is in our social media bio. Uh, stay tuned, stay locked to us, and thank you once again. Good night.